my party, I can cry if I want to, cry if I want to, cry if I want to. You would cry too if you were listening to Deep Shit with Baron Von. Hi and welcome. That was a very long introduction and I enjoyed it. So hopefully you guys will too. Hey, I am coming to you from feeling absolutely fried. <laughs> um, I am about to, after I post this podcast, go get on a plane to the south in which i'm doing many many shows so if you are in the south right now come to one of my shows i am going to be doing this tomorrow night i am in columbia south carolina wednesday i am in greenville south carolina thursday friday and saturday i am doing the atlanta improv in buckhead I believe is the the name of the part of town that the Atlanta Improv is in. Then Sunday, I'm at I'm at uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Monday, Huntsville, Alabama. Tuesday, Asheville, North Carolina, and Wednesday, Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm doing all the Vils. I call this the Cruella Deville tour. Hey, watch out now. Everybody get down. Don't you shout now. I was just at the uh, San Diego uh, Madhouse Comedy Club. If you guys came to those shows, uh, I appreciate it. Um, I doubt that you did. It didn't really feel like it was an audience that really understand understands what I do, understood me, understands me at all, uh, which is fine because sometimes you have to convince people that are uh, unwilling to be convinced to find your comedy voice. Of course, I've been doing stand-up for 12 years, and I believe that I have, in a lot of ways, found my comedy voice. Of course, you never stop growing. You just start to get a sense of what it is that you're, you're aiming towards, and I feel like in the last year, I've really grown a lot as a comedian, uh, especially since I've been doing this podcast. And I, The whole reason I started doing this is to you know generate ideas and generate my own feelings about my ideas and my own feelings about other people's ideas, the big life questions, the the unending ponderousness, <laughs> the relentless thinkability that is this existence. Uh, speaking of which, today's guest is Emily Maya Mills. Emily is a very funny stand-up comedian and sketch performer, writer, actress that uh, I met a couple years ago. She used to work the front at the Upright Citizens Brigade. She used to kind of work the box office and stuff at the UCB LA, which is a thankless job. And she did it really well and always had an incredibly good attitude about everything. And uh, and now uh, a person who has taken her spot is a girl named Cody Fisher, who is doing a similar thing. Like she's a good person that does things well. And she's probably on her way out you know, to go pursue her actual career as well. But I met Emily a couple of years ago when I started coming to Los Angeles doing shows there, and she was always super pleasant. Then I started seeing her around at stand-up shows. I'm like, oh, she's a stand-up too? And she was always really funny and funny and inventive and interesting. So um, she lives in my neighborhood just kind of down the block. So I, sometimes I run into her when she's walking her dog, and we have interesting talks. And I thought, why not put this down on the podcast? So we did, and the, the subject is Focus, which is something right now I am struggling with a lot. Guys, as you know, things have been hard financially. Some of you sent me fucking donations, which honestly, when you sent them, it was like exactly what I needed it. Like it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be able to eat this week. 
<laughs> it was kind of like that. That's where I was. So it's been very hard to feel like I have uh, a place, I guess, in this industry when I feel like I am so stressed out about paying the ridiculous amount of money I owe to ridiculous amounts of people to the point that I don't even know. I can't even pass a freaking uh, credit score uh, examination to prove I'm myself to get what my credit score is and to find out who I owe this money to. It's an uphill battle, but I am fighting it. And things I'm saying right now are things I've said on the podcast, and I think I say this again in the podcast you're about to listen to. So anyways, La Hazel Bagels, the point is is that I've been taking a lot of work left and right. The last couple of months have been tour, tour, Tory McTour, me on the road a lot, which is why I am doing uh, a week-long tour in the South. I come back for a couple of days. Then I go to New York to do the New York Comedy Festival, which if you are going to that and if you're in New York – I'm going to be at the Upright Citizens Brigade on 26th Street on November 8th. I believe the show is at 10 p.m. And I will have Phoebe Robinson, Claudia Kogan, and Eliza Skinner on the show as well. And then I will do probably an hour of stand-up. So if you're in New York, November 8th, please come to that show. But that's what I've been doing, guys. I've been traveling willy-nilly left and right. It's been fucking insane. Like, I went to Mexico to do a comedy festival there. I came back, and the same day I did a podcast at the Los Angeles Podcast Fest, which, by the way, is the next podcast. You will get to hear the live podcast with myself, Hassan Minaj, Dave Ross, and Dr. Pierre Grimes in a week. Actually, it'll be over a week because there's not going to be a podcast next week because I will still be in the South. So I will not actually be able to come back to Los Angeles where all of my data is and edit together the episode for you fine people. This is also why I've switched to Monday because uh, Sunday is such a horrible travel day that I realize I do not have the energy or mental fortitude to put everything together. I'm a, I'm a one-man show. That's why it's been inconsistent because there's no one that I'm outsourcing it to. Um, and I don't even feel like I really want to, but maybe I should. I don't know. There's a couple people who have offered. Perhaps I should think about taking those bitches up on this motherfucker. So anyway, um, yeah, I went to Mexico, came back to the podcast fest, was here for a couple of days, and then I went to New York for a week, came back from New York, and then I... uh, drove to San Diego on the exact same day. I was not supposed to drive. I came back from New York on a Thursday. I thought that I didn't have to go to San Diego till Friday, but they wanted me to do morning radio on Friday. Morning radio, which, you know what? It's fun sometimes. It depends on who it is. But who's coming to my shows because they heard me on a radio show at 6 a.m.? Who is going to come see me at 8 p.m.? Because they heard me on a radio show at 6 a.m. Whoever is up at that hour, when they get off fucking work, they're going to bed. They're not going to fucking come see me. They're going to fucking go to bed. They'll drink a couple beers, get into a fight, fuck something, and sleep. Okay? Regardless, I, on the same day that I landed from New York, drove to San Diego, and... I had done a lot of my sleeping not that well for a week and on planes and at odd hours and in different time zones. So 
a two-hour drive to San Diego became a four-hour drive to San Diego because I, your friend Baron Vaughn, couldn't stop falling asleep at the wheel. So dangerous. So, so dangerous. And even though I know that and I'm like fucking yelling at myself and blasting music and slapping my face I I couldn't stop falling asleep. I'd be like, ah, I'm going 80. I'm going 80 right now. And luckily there weren't other people on the fucking road. I kept pulling over to take a brief nap or to get out of this car and fucking run around it, you know, jump up and do some jumping jacks. I pulled over to a couple different neighborhoods to take a quick nap every every now and then. So a two-hour drive came became a four-hour drive because I was trying really, really hard not to die. Um, But I made it. And then I had awkward shows and then I came back and now I'm going on a tour of the South. So that's what's going on with me. What's going on with you? <laughs> oh, I, uh, this, this intro has become really long. This intro has become really, really long. This is, this is about nine minutes now I've been talking and, uh, all I'm, I'm starting to get stressed. I'm starting to be like, God damn it, Baron, stop talking. You have to go edit this together, put it together. Then you have to pack. Then you have to put yourself on tape for a fucking audition. Then you have to go to the airport and sleep on a plane for a couple of hours before you land in Atlanta, rent a car, and drive four hours to Columbia, South Carolina. Then, and only then, will you be able to shower and sleep. I don't mean to sound bitter and unappreciative, guys. I chose this fucking life, right? It's just that this is not the life it's supposed to be. That's the thing. You know, people want to become actors and they want to become comedians because they want to act and tell jokes. But that is such a small portion of the shit you have to do to get the opportunities to do those things. Being an actor is a shitty, shitty, shitty thing. It's it's not good. The industry is run by people who are not creative. They want to make money. God love them. That's what world we live in. So me, the person who's creative, which means I'm fucking moody and emotional, I have to do all this shit that they want me to do to prove to them that I can be moody and emotional, which is kind of amazing. Telling jokes is great. Fucking being on planes across the country and driving and fucking falling asleep at the wheel when you're going 80 miles an hour is not. That's all the shit I have to do to be able to tell jokes. And I, you know, that's why it gets to the point where you're like, is this even fucking worth it? That's why you hear a lot of these comedians that could just fucking have a mental breakdown and stop and and just never do stand up again or they do everything they fucking can to get a job writing on television so that way they don't have to fucking go on the road i'm not in that situation so i right now i'm taking all these fucking gigs so i can finally and i think it's going to happen when i get back from the south guys i am going to be financially ahead the end just for just for a split second I will have enough money that I can pay all of my bills, not late, at the, at the time that they're due, and I think I'll be able to finally settle the last payment to the lawyers that are suing me on behalf of my college. I think I'll be able to pay these back payments for my car. That is a lease that I'm no longer going to have maybe in a week. They're taking that shit back. I leased a car. 
I thought it would work out because I was on a TV show at the time, but this is an incredibly unpredictable fucking industry. So I went from making the most money I've ever made in my life during a recession to looking at my bank account every day to see if I have at least two digits of a number in there. And uh, a car, which is a very important thing to have in Los Angeles to be able to get the jobs to pay your bills, is something I will not have maybe in a week. We'll see. We will fucking see, guys. Um, I did not make good decisions. And I'm paying for it. Not only monetarily, but psychologically and emotionally. And I will make it. Hear that question mark? The the uncertainty right in the side of my voice. <laughs> it's fucking scary, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. It's fucking scary. It's very hard to... Uh, I, I, I Like I said, I'm lucky that I get to do what I'm doing. But am I really doing it? I feel like I'm just doing a lot of bullshit to barely be able to do it. So it makes me go, maybe this thing I love is not worth it. It is not worth it to put up with this shit. It's an unquantifiable fucking thing. And it's like I'm trying to sell it. I just work at a bookstore. A bookstore is a fucking, I can work at a bookstore. I know what, I know fucking books. You walk around the bookstore you make sure the books are not disgusting, that they're organized, that there's some sort of sense to how they're laid out, and you read them, expanding your fucking brain. And when people ask you about shit, you answer their questions. And it's really easy to be nice, and you clean it up. You know, you get paid shit, but I know what that is. I know what working at a bookstore is. This fucking stand-up comedy fucking acting bullshit, I don't know what the fuck this is anymore. Anyway, guys, I'm in a good mood. Here's Emily. Perfect and complete in its incompleteness. Perfect and complete in its incompleteness. That's yes. very Zen of you. Yeah. Are you Zenny? Yeah. You're Zenish. Zenish. You're Buddhist. I don't know about Buddhist. I think uh, Taoist. Taoist. You know, once it gets into things that have been printed in books that you have to abide by. Well, you don't have to. Abide no, by. right. There's no, always people who are who run organizations that say you have to. Right. Because it gives them legitimacy. Yes. But all of it's a blueprint. Sure. You get to decide what the house really looks like. Absolutely. The house of your soul. The house spirit. of my soul. The toilet spirit. It's not a toilet. Well, I'm it just saying like, like a house a, has all sorts of sure, things in it. Sure, absolutely. And I and I mean it's a lot of great information. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. I agree one hundred percent. You get even within those, you know, you get room to room. I've been to chanting sessions before where at the end of them somebody says, Now we're gonna read this passage and to the two new people they'd say, Now what does that mean to you? And you'd say what it meant, and they'd say, That's actually not right. <laughs> <laughs> tell you what it actually means it's like all right i'll see you later are these people that are americans Mm -hmm. who are you know who are like hollywood Mm. chanting for manifestation types 
you know, when I started becoming aware of yoga, mm-hmm. the, really a lot of the f- the first people I experienced that were that went to yoga and, and like practiced yoga are the people who turned me off of yoga forever. Yes, yes, yes. Because they were so serious about this is the answer. Uh, and they were just so high strung. With that knowing smile. With that and with that holier than thou smile. Yes. As well. So it's just well, like they turned me off from it because I'm like, if everyone's like you at yoga, yeah. I don't know that I want to go. There's a weird uh, competitive spirit to it. I, I realized recently kind of what it is when it comes to those uh, place to place and room to room. I think there's a little bit of sport shaming. It's just shaming you into a membership is what it is. It's like, I need this to feel equal to your now let me throw this out and i don't mean to be a i'm not i'm not a big america basher in general but i just feel like there are certain ideas in our culture in our society that we are just just beaten to us from birth they're just the priorities of our of america Mm -hmm. that don't serve us in the long run Mm -hmm. and then we we anything that we co-opt we just we slam that into it right and just like the shaming the guilt that's how you sell something right is by making someone feel less than right and i have the product that will make you feel more than if not neutral right 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 and then also do it competitiveness right. doing it better than somebody else right there's always a right and a wrong which is incorrect right it's incorrect to say there's a right and a wrong it's in, yes it is it's correct to say there is just what there is there just is what there is there is what there is hey at the end of the day yeah it is what it is. At the end of the day, you're not a day older. <laughs> it's also like a weird microcosm of like a growth, uh, growth based business model where mm. it's, you know, I mean, it's just, it's everything. You're right. It's everything that America well, do, You're is. doing it in America and you still have to run a business and make some money. So people right. just are constantly shoving this bastard cousin that doesn't belong mm-hmm. into the thing. Just like we got to put a little of that inside of it, put mm-hmm. a little capitalism in it. Mm-hmm. And then we can sell it. And it, isn't it kind of like you want to give some sort of forgiveness to the fact that like it's probably difficult to balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always difficult to balance. Like yeah. How much how proactive should you be versus uh, you don't want to be uh, apathetic or concave, you know, so it's like you don't want to be apatowic either. No, <laughs> that's the opposite of apathetic. Is caring so much, but hilariously and Jewishly. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. Continue what you were saying. I like it. Um, no, just within that, being uh, in that field, being a proprietor of a yoga studio, mm-hmm. it's difficult to do that without ego, to like own something, to have to try to, you know. We're an ego-based society. Right. We're just, that's all we are. Just Freud, Freud, Freud. Freud, Freud, Freud. We believe in Freud. Mama. So hard in this country. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Is that, is that, is that the, uh, that's Freud wanting to fuck his mom? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Mama. Is that, that's disgusting. And <laughs> correct. Totally. Um, now, Emily, what's your background a little bit? You're from the Bay Area, right? I'm from the city of San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Is that, was it incorrect to say the Bay Area? <laughs> <laughs> um, most people, when they say they're from San Francisco, are from somewhere in the Bay Area. Right. Oakland, Alameda. Yeah. Tiburon. Los Gatos. And, yeah. Uh, Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. You know, Dublin. Uh, 
you know, we can go on and on. So when people are from the San Francisco area, they say the Bay Area. Bay Area, yeah. But when you're from San Francisco, you say the city. The city. It's seven miles by seven miles. So to be born and raised within that is, it's pretty rare. So I guess like it, it, it just even the rareness alone warrants specifying. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a great deal of hometown pride because it is so tiny. And to be native of a city is something that people are very proud of. Mm-hmm. And how do you think that informed you? The city or just like that? that... Both. I mean, um, what do you think are some of the things that, you got out of San Francisco oh. that you still hold to this day? Well, I mean, definitely uh, ferocious independence, I would say, like, I mean, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, I was, you know, I was on the bus. My parents said, I think I sent me and my brother to school on the public city bus at, like, nine. So, Not a school bus, a public bus. A public bus. So it's okay. like getting on the subway or something like right, that. Right, right. It's, I mean, in the, the system there... The municipal transit system there is very, uh, you very well used. It, mm-hmm. It's it's a smart system. It's great, and people everyone uses it. So it's like, you know, all walks. But it was it was uh, it was early to be navigating an urban environment, and doing that from then on basically. Um, so you get you toughen up on certain, you know, uh, parts of life. Certain your, uh, I I definitely had some necessarily tough years mm-hmm. uh as as an adolescent and uh that informed me in i think in some ways maybe i have like a sort of insane fearlessness in the face of things that i should be scared of mm-hmm. but then that also later um had to be unraveled a bit and right. uh cared for and nurtured <laughs> Well, you're no one that has ever struck me as naive. Right. And fearless, I think, is a better word. Oh. That's how I feel about you. Okay. What I get from you is you're a sturdy woman. Sturdy woman. A sturdy woman. That you you do have uh, an independence. And finding out that you were from San Francisco made a lot of sense to me because Mm. I feel like people from San Francisco just tend tend to have personalities before you needed it. Yeah, in a sort of a way, like it's like that. That city demands you knowing who you are. Yeah. I think more than most other cities in this country. Well, it also has a lot of information happening at an early age, and not a lot like, of shame about that information. Yeah. Just kind of like this is what this is. Uh-huh. You know, do with that information as you will, and you have to figure out who you are and what you feel about things. Mm-hmm. I think a lot earlier than most cities. Yes, which is why I feel like. Sometimes when I meet a person from San Francisco that's in their 30s, they 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 feel like they're in their 50s. <laughs> I feel like I'm in my 50s. Because it's like, you know what? I'm over all that. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly, by the time I got to college, I was like, what are you guys going to parties and getting drunk for? I mean, we did this when we were 12. Yeah, I'm done. Unfortunately. Mm. Um, it's true. And it's also such a tiny, it, it is an urban environment. It's so small. And what you end up with is... Um, all, all different there's not a lot of separation between cultures and so everybody's just sort of rubbed up against each other and right. melted together and right. not to be cheesy and call the melting pot but it's true it's just I, I remember being feeling very lucky you know as a kid and even well into adulthood just at every turn every lunch table I ever sat at every carpool I was ever in it was just like all the colors of the rainbow you know people just mixed and mushed together and and, and with a all with streaks of individuality yeah 
as well. Yeah. It's a city that champions uniqueness. Yes, it does. Now, don't you 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 have to realize too, though it is at the end of the day like a city, and there is a sort of a puritan. Uh, what am I saying? A provincial sort of element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the school public school systems are not great. Um, you know, when I was growing up, like there's a strong working class, and like it's funny to me, and I love it. But San Francisco has like a sort of Towny quality to it as much as anywhere else that a lot of people probably don't think of when they think of San Francisco because it's so it's so uh, worldly and cosmopolitan and but um, I think but you can get addicted to that yeah and then not know how to do anything that isn't that exactly there's a, there is an element of like not needing anything beyond the identity of being from the city right. uh, I think with people who you know tend to grow up there and it's an amazing thing to have it's a beautiful source of pride but that can be enough for people um i found mm-hmm. and it's like but it wasn't for you yeah exactly like i mean i I've, i think person to person you're composed you know uh neurologically or whatever the way that you are and so if you are um inclined or tend to feel stagnation and that is something that comes up for you and you you have like for me that was always something that sort of like I was met with and needed to surpass this sense of like if I was stagnating I kind of felt like I was dying and that was something I still feel like you know if I I still feel like that like whatever it is whether it's mental or physical stagnation I just like I it will I will get real dilapidated real fast which this is exactly what I was looking for the end it beautifully transitions us <laughs> into the subject that we wanted to talk about yes that you said it is focus what what the hell what the hell what the hell, what the hell is focus when you say that what does that mean <laughs> you know i mean it means a lot of things we could we could really go at it like a like a radio lab and vignettes i mean we could take all different sides of it why am I referring to another podcast on this podcast? Well, it's a good podcast. <laughs> it's a great podcast. It's a very good podcast. But I think that there are two ways to look at it. There's that like sense but is of... That, but before that, is that what your relationship is to focus right now is trying to define it? Um, no, I think it means it's multifaceted. Okay. To me. Continue. I think it's the inter- the it's the relationship between the two ways to define it is really interesting to me right now, I would say. Do it. What does that mean? means that, like, I, you know, there's the type of focus that is, like, pure concentration, the mind's ability to focus on one point or mm-hmm. a thing. In a moment. In a moment. There's that. And then there's life focus, focusing energy, focusing purpose. Towards a goal, towards, towards mm-hmm. an objective. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Two different ways of looking at it. Right. The relationship between the two is interesting to me because I I haven't quite, I mean, I'm always sort of seeking and coming from this place of like being a kid who, and someone who has somewhat harnessed and embraced this fact, but being a kid that was just like a spaz, like unable to harness my ability to pay attention. I mean, and not in a hyperactive way. At the time, I was like sort of taken to all of these specialists and they were trying to figure out what it, and I don't have hyperactivity. It's not a hyperactive thing. They didn't have ADD at the time. (laughs) Do you think that's what you had or are or? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, not, not with the hyperactivity, right? but yes. Well, I mean, I still debate on that ADD Yes, because I believe it is a thing. Yep. 
but I don't believe that. I think it's become a very convenient diagnosis mm-hmm. for people who are just, do you know Matt <clears throat> Ruby at all? Mm-mm. Matt Ruby's a New York comic who was in town recently. What show did we do? I think we did put your hands together mm-hmm. and he had this great joke where he's like, um, so I guess being aware of things is just called depression now. <laughs> This is just 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 noticing what's happening is just yeah, sadness. Yeah. Just like oh, working on self. What's wrong with that guy? Oh, he's got a bad case of connecting the dots. <laughs> Whew, he's come down with the putting things together. I was like, that is so brilliant. Amazing. And so I feel like, especially because when you when you look at our school system, mm-hmm. it's 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 just by rote memorization a oh, lot of yeah. the time, just like hammering information and that is it's a one size fits all model yes and I was very aware of that from a very young age as was was, I yeah very frustrated by that so they were trying to diagnose you why doesn't she fit into our structures something must be wrong with her right the structures and imagine what that puts on you at a young age when you're you know being formed what's wrong with her Fuck you. Constantly being told what's wrong with you. Yeah. 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 Because then the te- they'll do tests and it was like, well, 99% of it was in the 99th percentile. And then there's like one facet that's like maybe below average. You know what I mean? It's like, so wrong is not really the the correct phraseology. You know what I mean? It's like, what's wrong with like you? Like these motherfuckers that are putting right and wrong all over yoga. All over yoga. All over yoga. You froze yoga. God damn it. Frozen yoga. Now we're judging them, judging us, judging them. Fuck them. That's what I say. Yeah. Am I right? Chakra. Get your chakra. Chakras. Right. Get your. Do yoga right now. (laughs) Skill, skill, skill. Yoga, yoga, yoga. I don't know any yoga poses. Otherwise, that's where I would start improvising those. Anyway, as you were saying. I can improvise some yoga poses. As I was saying, oh, just that. The exactly that. So, so the thing about ADD being real or not real, mm-hmm. and I agree, and I'm kind of glad I was never actually diagnosed with it because it left me to have to fend for yourself, fend for myself, put the pieces together the best I could yeah. with the information I had, and not necessarily categorically assume anything. And what I came up with, and what I think is true, uh, is just that it's like you know, some it's like the nuances of the wiring of say like your optical abilities. It's like mm-hmm. some people are nearsighted. Some people are farsighted. There's so many different ways that that wiring maps out mm-hmm. uh, from person to person. So it's just like the way that ADD is in somehow lives in the same lobe as like OCD and dyslexia and depression, and all of these different things. It's all your own little cocktail. Right. So you got your own pudding up there and how the neurological <laughs> pathways uh, work themselves out is is determined by so many things you know not even psychologists know the difference between you know are able to separate nature and nurture necessarily at the right. end of the day at the very tail end of that when you follow it all the way down the rabbit hole right it's very it's impossible hardwiring versus right conditioning right and that's a big big that's my personal obsession yes it's like as a child just seeing like well what is the difference between I'm being told that all these things that don't feel natural to me are. They're yes. biological, evolutionary facts. Yes. And I'm like, I don't think that. Yep. And now, of course, now there's all sorts of research debunking and proving and blah, blah. Like one of my favorite ones is uh, I was reading this book called History. Um, uh, no, Marriage, A History. Uh, <laughs> I was reading history, this book called History. History, A Marriage, much, much more boring. <laughs> really broad. <laughs> a marriage between what? Facts in my brain. Um, but marriage, a history, um, in which she was talking about, uh, the hunter gatherer myth Mm -hmm. and talking about that 
Anthropology was a new science in the 50s. It was gaining this steam and gaining this popularity. And the priorities of the 50s were man's this, woman is that, right? Mm -hmm. So when they discovered that, oh, there were certain societies in which men hunted and women gathered, mm -hmm. it reflected this, the priorities of the time. Mm -hmm. Even though it was true, it wasn't so common mm -hmm. in, those ancient, in those tribal societies. Right. It wasn't the most common thing, but they kind of put it, it forward like the economic model they were striving it served for. the model so right. they ran with it right but even though it was true it wasn't like so common that you can say this is a truth and even if it was true it was nuanced it's like it's every time somebody makes a declarative statement even if a study is involved right and that's that's sort of teetering on throwing out any information <laughs> and one of my favorite things i just read about studies yeah. is generally they are, especially when, it's coming, when it comes down to human sexuality or relationships, generally these people are on college campuses mm -hmm. and their field of research, like the people they can ask questions to, are college students mm -hmm. who have no life experience, mm -hmm. who have very limited ideas about what could be. They're still in that place of finding out. They're probably not even comfortable enough to tell the truth. A lot of the time. So those are the people that are informing all these like, oh, this is something we discovered that's true about men because of a bunch of 22 year olds. Yeah. You know what's funny? Yes. That's so crazy. Is it like at the end of the day, a study that requires uh, individuals to tell the truth. You, it's a, it's not provable. Well, like we asked ten thousand people, but you asked ten thousand college students. Yeah, you didn't go out into the city of Chicago and ask people Get from various backgrounds. Exactly. Like, <laughs> what is that guy uh, from Oak Park in his fifties thing? Yeah. Okay. Okay. This woman's been a seamstress for 30 years. Yeah, she's going to have something very different to say <laughs> than the girl who got a full ride to Northwestern, I feel like. Very different. Very different. Very different life experiences. I'm just going to assume. Just oh, going to assume. Very, uh, very, very much. Wait. Yeah. Um, you throwing something at me? I was, I was throwing the subject back at oh, you. Oh, yes. That's what I was doing. I yeah. made a physical gesture to get us back on track, but you were going to ask something. Go ahead. I was going to ask something. Mm -hmm. You know what the cool thing is? What? I lost it. Here we are. Well, I remember Focus. what it is. Focus. What? Well, that's what we were talking about. Yeah. Is I was going to take it back to you talking about those two different things. Uh -huh. Because you're talking also, you're relating it from the uh, the ADD thing. Uh-huh. When you were a kid. Uh-huh. That, go ahead. Right. Well, I mean, to relate the two, it's sort of like, then what I found. Uh, you said you were spaz. Yeah. I mean, just like uh, in spaz in that, like the same way that I am to some degree today, but I'm very high functioning. I'm a very high functioning spaz. <laughs> is that in the, uh, what is the, the thing? The, the uh, DM, DM, DSM? The DSM? <laughs> high fun spaz. High, high functioning, functioning spaz. <laughs> I'll, I'll nominate it. I mean, <laughs> they can put whatever they want. Every year Spazism. they put more stuff in there. And just. We we have to all recognize for a moment, folks, that they're it's just words. Just they're, people creating they're words that are definitions related to uh, medication. Sometimes, who knows? A I lot mean, of stuff. some things are again. I don't want to say things are there's everything's like a, illegitimate. No, exactly. But there are like there's like a medical in the DSM. There's like a medical terminology for like shyness that makes it sound real scary. <laughs> You know really? Mean? Like hysteria. What? Hysteria. Back in back in Victorian England, what did that mean? Man. It means bitches be crazy. Bitches That's be crazy. Bitches need to be masturbating. Oh, they need to be masturbatings. <laughs> anyway, as you were saying, 
So you were relating it to like, oh. again, focus in the moment and focus in a long-term sense. Well, focus in the moment and focus in a long-term sense. I guess there's one more step in between those two, which is that like when you have focus troubles, and I don't know if you find this to be true or mm-hmm. if, you have, if you relate, but like uh, something that can be uh, a strength or can become hyper-developed is hyper-focus, which is a very cool thing. And that's something that like, thank goodness for, I mean, it, 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 it's, I don't know if it's developed because of limited, uh, small turn, like moment to moment focusing, but, uh, I've noticed and proved to myself throughout my lifetime that I have the ability to hyper-focus, which is that like, I can understand like systems. If I can see, I have all the plates at once, see all the plates at once. There's like a, there's a, an ability to comprehend the totality that I'm better at than mm. necessary the micro. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. seeing, so like seeing the big picture. Seeing the big picture. In the moment. Seeing the big picture in the moment. There's a couple different ways that that works. Like, one example is like when I was, uh, you know, younger and waiting, working in food service and stuff like that. Based on my general functionality as being a spaz as I am, uh, you would not think that I would make a very good waiter or bartender. Um, but the opposite was true in that, like. I would never need a piece of paper. I could have an entire restaurant and every order in the restaurant in my mind and never mess anything up. Take 10 tops, uh, never write anything down. Highest sales. There's like this weird sort of like. Well, you were in your pocket. In my pocket? You were in the zone. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is it like, I've even heard too somewhere that like kids with ADD, Something that they recommend is like if they're reading, doing a lot of reading, to balance a ruler on one finger because of this, like, I don't know exactly how or why that makes sense. But like a secondary focus, kind of like a background activity that helps kind of center them a little bit or something. Yeah. Hmm. It quiets the static, I think. Hmm. Uh, So finding ways to access that, this like quieting of the static throughout my life has been uh, a gift in that, like, I've somehow been very good at running businesses or, you know, um, this idea of even just like even stand up, I think, is an opportunity to like hyper focus. Yeah. You know, where because you have there are so many elements to it, you get to get into yeah the zone, that confluence of all the elements where somehow there is a. It's it's almost like going into a pinhole and then out into seeing the all. Mm. If that makes any sense. No, it totally makes sense. I I was when I when you say hyper focus, I think of for myself crisis moments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When it's because my strength is present moment focus. Mm. Like long term, like I have these goals, objectives I need to I need to figure out. It's hard for me to to get to that because I'm so in the moment. Mm. So especially when I become upset or depressed, then I sit in that. I sit in that moment and spiral. Mm-hmm. And I can't get myself out of that to take these very specific steps to make X and Y and Z happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Because I'm because the future is the future, but next week is when the rent is due. That's what right. I start thinking, right? right? So it's like I uh like uh, if I'm if I'm in a crisis situation where it's like an impending like a cloud that's sitting on me, then I feel like I can't function mm-hmm. because I'm sitting in the moment of whatever feelings I have. Mm-hmm. But if it's like 
I am about to get mugged or robbed or something, I get this, like, uh, uh, it sounds stupid to say, but Neo, like, bullet time-like vision. Wow. Where I kind of, I'm, my brain is, like, working so fast yes. to figure out what I can and can't do. I'm playing out multiple situations in my head, and I just really calm and really slow down. Yeah. The couple times that I've almost been in a car accident, uh-huh. I get very calm and just really kind of think I could swerve here, swerve there, and I just kind of play out all these different situations right in like about two seconds before I'm supposed to react. Amazing. How many times have you been almost mugged? Uh, well, I've been mugged. I've been robbed. <laughs> but like uh, I've almost been mugged a couple times. Are there any like life examples that aren't necessarily like that? you know crime or impending injury or anything like mm-hmm. that 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 caused that type of uh when it's not like a present reaction. moment threat i guess da- when it's not danger related when it's but maybe not it's danger like as, as intense like um as uh, intense and potentially stressful but like have you ever had the danger that is the one that i've always noticed danger like when it feels like impending danger hmm. is when i start to kind of go but i can't think of any moment um, maybe like doing stand up on TV, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now I've done That's it enough that I feel like I have the doing an hour mm-hmm. is, is the same thing. Like I, I will sometimes sit and watch cause I never had that thing, you know, even in like doing theater where you're not supposed to look at the audience. It's superstitious. Uh, I would always look, I would always be like, okay, all right. But it's different when it's a play. Cause I didn't write that. Right. I'm not the one who is saying, I wrote this play. I'm, I'm, I am presenting it to you and saying that it is good, that it is well-structured, yep. that it is funny, mm-hmm. and these songs are fucking killer, right? <laughs> right? But with stand-up, doing an hour is like I have to get to the place where I can sustain for an hour. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to explain it to a non-comic recently. Non-com. A non-com, a normie, and uh, talking about... How much energy it takes to do, especially two shows in one night yeah. where I'm talking for two hours. Yeah. And I basically have to kind of not do anything the entire day to kind of be in the mental and physical place mm-hmm. to do that. Like mm-hmm. I, I can walk around a little bit, but I need to kind of I don't talk like if I'm on the road alone, I literally do not use my voice mm. for a good four to five hours before I perform. Mm-hmm. It's about the hour before I start performing that I'll start to talk a little bit, especially if I get to the club and I'm talking to the staff or other comics or anything mm-hmm. like that. But usually the, during the day, I kind of need to have this silent meditation and kind of pouring over the set that I had the night before or the material that I'm still working on. Mm-hmm. But I will look at the audience before the sh- before a stand-up show and handpick the people I am sure are not going to like me. Ah! I, that person is not going to understand a fucking thing I said. That person has very different ideas of what they think comedy is. That person looks like my grandma, not going to like me, just like <laughs> shit like that. But once I get the first laugh, the first on moss laugh, uh-huh. everything fucking melts away. Right. And then I'm in, then I feel like I'm in a zone. Exactly. Do you feel, do you work specifically for those people's approval once you pick them out? I, you know, sometimes it depends on how the audience is. Like, cause I'll cherry pick people, but if the audience is loud enough or big enough, that those three people don't matter as much mm-hmm, as the mm-hmm. 200 that I'm in front of. Mm-hmm. So, of course, but every comic has the, if there's someone in the fucking front row that you can clearly see is just looking at you the entire time, 
you will fixate on that person. Mm-hmm. It's a bit, I do that classic comic thing. It's like, what the fuck is this one person? Everyone around them is fucking having a great time. And this one person is just stone faced. That's the person I'm going to think about. Mm-hmm. You all, I got you. This guy or this woman, though. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times that person will come up and be like, hey, I really enjoyed what you did. I'm like, why did you stay? They don't know how to laugh. They don't know how to laugh. They don't know how to participate. Right. Or whatever. So, Or they're very heady. Maybe they're they they very heady. And even in that, like. Trapped in their own. Even inside of that, I will. That has taught me a lot about not prejudging. Mm-hmm. Not having some prejudices. Right. I'm just kind of like, okay, you know what? This has been inconsistent enough. That I can't make these assumptions. It that proves I make. nothing. Yeah, exactly. Their face proves nothing right now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes in that, I get in the com- I get in the comedy zone, and when it happened, when it really, really happens, you know, I mean, that's the addiction. Mm-hmm. That's what we're yeah. like when we get that set where it's just like, I'm. You're singing. Everyone's fucking with you. Mm-hmm. It's just, you don't even know what you're saying or what you're doing. Yeah. You're hitting every beat. It's like a trance. Mm-hmm. But you're still somehow present. And still somehow outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you get off stage and I'm like, I don't under, I don't know what just happened. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's like what comes first? Because I feel like there are a lot of minds like this in mm-hmm. comedy. And is it the addiction to that, that release mm-hmm. from the static? Or is it the static that creates the mind that is pursuant of that field? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, which came first sort of. Uh, static if, or the egg. The static or the egg, exactly. Yeah. Um, if, yeah, if if intuitively, comedic people tend to uh, get themselves whipped into a ADD frenzy at some point in their mm-hmm. life, and mm-hmm. then because of life choices, have trouble concentrating because mm-hmm. they because of something that begins. Uh, I don't know where you know where where because I've noticed that um is a pattern like i'm sure we all have for myself no just like people throughout the community even even like if you want to cross over between stand-up and improv and stuff like that i know like a lot of is it that is it that individuals are seeking solace from the static and that's Mm. what attracts them to comedy or is there a comedic uh wiring that um that what am i well, I've, like can the, I throw, throw yeah, out yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The introvert versus extrovert mm-hmm. paradigm. Mm-hmm. That the introvert needs to recharge their batteries. Mm-hmm. They need solace mm-hmm. and alone time mm-hmm. and to kind of build themselves back up. Mm-hmm. And when they go out, then they feel that they're giving everyone energy, but they're not getting any of it. So you feel drained by that. Mm-hmm. Whereas the extrovert needs to be around people and feeds off of that. And it, and it, it, it reverberates and becomes a whole nother thing and they're high off of it mm-hmm. and i think that those are the two both of those camps are attracted to comedy i've exactly. seen the people that like i was gonna say I don't they need think... to like like someone like a mitch hedberg right. for instance right i would think is a person who this is a situation that they're actually you know what i was a friend asked me about nick thune last night mm-hmm. she has a friend that's working with nick, definitely nick thune on something mm-hmm. and she said they're butting heads so I was just curious about what kind of person Nick Thune is. Do you really know him? I'm like, yeah, I've met him a couple times. We've hung out. I don't have anything bad to say about Nick Thune. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's always... a lovely guy. Yeah. He's, he, I said he's a little hard to read, but I've never gotten any maliciousness off of him. No. I've never gotten any dickishness off of him. I think he's actually pretty... 
seems pretty kind. To he, me. He's very kind. Yeah. He's a genuinely kind person. Yeah, exactly. And then I said, but I've never worked with Nick. Nick is a one-liner guy, mm-hmm. is what I said. And I threw out this statement, which is one-liner guys, they have a very specific idea of what a joke is supposed to be. Mm. And they put that joke through the ringer a lot before they get it to exactly what they believe it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I said they thrive within structure, but it must be their structure. Mm. So I wouldn't doubt if he's working with someone that is that needs the other, the opposite end. Mm-hmm. But Nick's brain works in this one-liner way where it's like, no, there's a very specific thing that has to happen here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, we have to find the structure. I have to build the structure, then build what's inside the structure. Right. Right. I have to make a casing for the instrument. Right. As well. So I was like, I think with people like that, like sometimes they get on stage and it's like they are tuning out the static and putting all their focus into these specific jokes. Right. Whereas some people do the writing on stage thing, Mm -hmm. like I do a little bit, where Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm going to throw these things out and let the audience inform me Mm -hmm. where it should go. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would assume, and with improv, as little as I've as little as I've seen, I've seen a lot of improv, but like there are those people who that are like the big brash, they just kinda have to run everything. Mm-hmm. Personalities where they're feeding off of the energy and they steamroll sometimes right. over their scene partners because they're so high that they're not listening anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other people who are the who are the very considerate Thinker. crazy amounts of eye contact. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm I, my mind is racing while I'm listening to you and trying to think about all the 8 billion ways I can tie all this together and finish this scene right. sort of people at the same time. But as you were saying. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, I think both exist. I, they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because I don't think uh, when you started to describe the differences between, you know, the extrovert and the introvert, I was like, I, I definitely don't think that there's a divide um, in who's attracted to comedy because I, I think, yeah, specifically with, within the field of like performance i think it's both mm-hmm. uh i know true introverts i don't really consider myself an extrovert at all um and somehow i'm here but <laughs> yeah you know and i don't either but nobody's totally an introvert right no one's totally an extrovert right we have exactly dominate dominant qualities right right, right. but uh, you know what you were just saying about yeah. about thune and and sort of describing what was maybe happening there it's like yeah. the definition it's a, of creative it's a theory yeah it's a theory but it's like that is the definition of creative differences mm-hmm. like it's that minds work differently we all have our sort of neurological neurological pathways burned the, the way that they have and the interesting thing is that I've noticed recently or been thinking about recently is like, isn't it funny how we are, we grow up believing that the environment of our household and what our parents, uh, our parents sense of reality, their, their view of the world, their Mm -hmm. perspective. We grow up believing that to be truth. Yes. Universal truth. Universal truth. We assume that that is uh, the version of the world. Mm -hmm. And then you get out in the world and you become an adult and you realize that everybody thinks that about their reality up to a point. And then you also kind of were like, oh, wow, my, I don't even share the same view of the world that my parents did necessarily, you know, right. and, and add infinite. Like it just so that's parsed per person throughout the entire population. Ooh, good alliteration. Yes. Parsed per, per person. Per person. <laughs> While they listen to the Alan Parsons Project. <laughs> <laughs> if they they know what's good for the them. The People's Republic of Paul Simon. Oh, you are just, gosh. No, never mind. You're a, you're a wordsmith. Hey, I'm a profligator. No, I got nothing. Uh, 
You're a <laughs> genius and a word. <laughs> that's where I lost it. A profligator? That's not necessarily a, a word. A propagator of profligate. There's a there's a word that is profa something and I can't remember what it is. Mm. And I think it means what I think it means. <laughs> Ooh, if we could just cut it open and get inside yeah, there right now. What is oh, in there? Oh, beautiful. Just snakes and worms. <laughs> Gummy worms. That's what's in mine. To feed the snakes. For sure, yes. Um, yeah, so I guess the thing that uh, I want to ask here is also like in this journey for what the crap is going on. Sorry, my phone is blowing up. It's my friend Mandy. Hey, if Mandy. you have listened to this podcast before, you know who Mandy is. Hey, Mandy, how you doing out there? Yeah, hey, Mandy, how you doing out there in internet land? She's probably texting me about Breaking Bad. <laughs> uh, guys, it's 6.30 on a Thursday, so that's not even relevant to the day of the week or... No, no. Actually, by the time you hear this podcast, Breaking Bad will be over forever. Forever. Except for maybe the Better Call Saul uh, prequel TV show. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Better call him. Better call him. There's not going to be a Walter White in it. But there will be Bill Burr and Laverne. Laverne. Love it. Lavelle Crawford. I assume those are his guys. Yeah. That's a that's a great cast. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy to have comics show up on it. I know. And just be like, does Bill's looking like comedy? You know what? A lot of those guys do. A lot of them. They love comedy. Badger. What's that? Like bands, especially like successful bands. Uh-huh. When they fucking tour around, that's all they they don't want to listen to their own music. No. They're like, do we want to listen to so-and-so's album? Let's just listen to com- let's listen to something that's not fucking music. Yes. Then they put on fucking the comedy album and then they become fans. That's great. Well, everybody needs comedy. Everybody does need comedy, but they don't know it. <laughs> they don't know it. Hey, if you're listening to this for the philosophy and deep thoughts. Take a little piece of advice today. And, it's all uh, trumped by dick jokes. Try out, yeah. <laughs> try out Baron Von's comedy. Son of a have. bitch. <laughs> Son of a bitch. You have listeners out there. Emily, there's not a lot of recording, recording of you. You've done put your hands together. I have done put my yeah put put my hands together. You put your hands together. I put, I put my, my hands, hands together. together. And uh, I well, went, you are a very funny comedian. Obviously. Thank you. Um, there's not a lot of recording. I I I I've, I've been one of those that. Because I do so much, like, over the years, sketch, character stuff, yes. improv, all the different things. Like, there's been a sort of um, haphazard throwing it at the wall uh, nature to what I do mm-hmm. uh, as far as, like, not... Literally last week was the first time I ever had um, all of the circumstances work out that I ended up with a good seven-minute tape that I have in my hands. Like that, What? It just, after... Almost 10 years. Like, that's the first time that's ever happened. It's so, I feel like that's when Jesus is against you. When you were trying to make a tape. Yes, it is. I don't oh know how many God. times. I remember at, at French Toast, I tried to make a tape to submit for the half hour. Mm-hmm. And so, Zach and Margie uh, figured out me doing a half hour set at the end of the show. And that show, I was like, that's a great show. It's always packed. Yeah. Just so happened that day. Half full. Yep. Like the least amount of people I'd seen there in a year yep. of going to that show. I'm like, yep. really? Did they know I was going to be here? Yep. Then right before my set, right before my set, Zach Sherwin got into the most awkward fight ever with an audience member. Oh, no. So fucking weird. I'm picturing like a French fat bastard. No, it was a no. girl and her friends. Mm-hmm. And he had this bit where he was playing a game where it was like a game show with the audience where he would 
quote rap lyrics mm-hmm. and he would be like what is it that snoop dogg is blah 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 you know like it says in the lyric mm-hmm. and so i think it was i think the song might have been what's my name like snoop doggy dog you know what, what's my motherfucking name snoop dog yeah. that no. it was either that or, or ain't nothing but a g thing yep right yep so he was using the lyrics of the song to ask questions that the lyrics answer yes and he was asking how many it to this to- how many loked out g's exactly are going crazy two perfect exactly you won. What is it that a girl might be, do to a man after she's earning her man, learning her man? She's the same time. Burning her man. Burning yes. her man. I don't know if it's earning she's and learning, but burning. that's the end of yes. it. So burning. those are the kind of questions he was yes. asking. Yes. This girl was, there was a back and forth that was funny. It was really funny and really good. Mm-hmm. Then he saw that she was looking at her phone for the lyrics. Oh, jerk. Right? And then he tried to hilariously castigate her. Which she did not respond to. And he's like, are you looking at your fucking phone? Come on, fucking buck up and be a fucking person for a while, you piece of shit. And she did not take, Enjoy that. take it at all. She didn't love and that. And it, it totally shut down the entire thing. It got awkward as fuck. Oh. She was just like, no, I'm from Chicago. We don't. That's what she said. She's like, we don't, we don't, you know, do this kind of thing. What the fuck is she talking about? And the audience is like, what the hell is this girl talking about? Uh, what is she talking about? Have you... Have you been to a show in Chicago? I don't know what she was, <laughs> what she said when she people have handles. They out, handle audience members. I'm from Chicago, and we don't something something that was like it has nothing to do with anybody being from anywhere. No, I know that's what she threw out. Well, that's that small. That's that like hometown kind of. You know, when you don't have much else, you're like, I'm from here. Who knows? Where, I think she got what? embarrassed and angry, and she had like four people with her that. She seemed like she was the leader of the group, or at least like if she's gonna have a shitty time, everyone's having a shitty time. You know what I mean? So That's Zach like, tried his darndest mm-hmm. to recover it, mm-hmm. but then she like got up and walked out with all of her friends like in this weird, huge, weird huff. Mm. And then I had to do a tape after that. Jesus. That's where I was just like, "This is this is the worst." Yeah, this is the worst, and it's never happened at that show. Well, because then all you're gonna do is say the words. Like the energy is killed. The energy was so bad. In Dead. There. But you got a good seven minute tape. That's fucking yeah. That's gangbusters. I mean, it's been a, it's been a long time coming, and mm-hmm. not that they haven't been. They've happened to plenty. Mm-hmm. If they've been, anytime you turn the camera on, like anytime you turn the camera on yourself, mm-hmm. you're instantly aware. You're instantly aware of it. Yes. Then there's that, but some sometimes it still works out. Then there's like always a problem with the tape, or somebody taped it for you, and they're like, "Hey, I'm gonna get you this set," and you're like, "Oh." Sweet baby Jesus. Or someone just stands in front of your and camera. They never. Know it was oh, there. yeah. <laughs> or you can't. It's the, the, the audio the, doesn't work. The light's work. too bright and you're completely flushed out. No one can see your yes. actual face. Everything was great except one guy sitting next to you in the light in the chair, just drunk, going, ah, over a punchline. You mm. know? Right next to the camera microphone. Right. Yeah. And then him having a conversation with his friend about, like, so fucking Syria, right? And yeah. it's like, that's all you hear in your tape. <laughs> It's just like, God damn it. He's got some good points about what's going on in the situation, but he ruined my fucking tape. There's so many levels to the magic, man. It is, it's unbelievable. And, and the I camera remember, is another whole camera. other. Well, I remember element. back when I used to, you used to have to hire somebody to come. Yeah. You know, like they taped every, there was a guy and I got lucky because there was a club I used to do in New York. I used to do this bringer show and this guy taped every show and he would basically tape your set and you had a day to get in touch with him mm-hmm. if you wanted it or not, mm-hmm. or he'd erase it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So that guy, I would just get tapes from him all the time. It was just like, 
30 bucks for a tape yeah and but he was already there it's mm -hmm. different than when you want to do a set and you, a show you believe is going to be good and then you have to pay someone 50 to 60 to 100 dollars mm -hmm. be like hey can you come tape it then the show's shit and yep. you paid 100 dollars yeah that you don't necessarily have yeah to get a seven minute tape yeah i know johnny pemberton and i were talking about this last week about how we're like should we just put a show together the entire lineup is just all people doing tapes, tapes? tape sets that's you know what, what that's what I think what we're gonna do. Tape sets. Mm -hmm. That's the name of the fucking show. Fucking show. Tape sets. Tape sets. And you have like a couple people doing their tape sets, the sets that they want to get on. Fucking, you promote the fuck out of it. Yeah. Get people there. I'll host it. Tight tape set. Well, you're doing it now. God you, damn it. You are. <laughs> you've been hired. Son of a motherless goat. Um, speaking of which, let's get this back to what you're talking about also because this this is kind of like you were talking about like having all these fingers in the different worlds right. the sketch and the improv and the stand-up yes so and then getting a good tape which is a product of maybe some focus, focus yes. but also you 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 are a person who and there's not a lot of you there's not a lot of you and i feel like it's happening more which is that people who are have a hand in each world and not even just like because I'm like a, I'm a stand-up, but I have some hands in the club world and some hands in the alt world, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you are you're also stand-up. You have hands in the sketch world and hands in the improv world. Yes. And it's like there's not a lot of people. There are a couple mm -hmm. that do all of it, all of it and yeah. have as much experience in each. Yeah. Well, I had to let go of improv a while ago, which is such a bummer. And I'll, and I'll be doing shows again soon. But it's like that was like my first love, and it was that sad having to cut that line. Like this is a one. This is the one that has to go because I couldn't, you know, I mean, it was like 10, almost 10 years of just like keeping everything afloat and then just realizing like something, just the pure weight of the all, you know, the, the uh, multitude, the pack, the pack was too heavy for the swim. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you're talking about like having a troop as well. Uh, yeah. That's true. That's why I mean like, that's a big, big part of it. Sketchers improv is like there's multiple schedules that you're yeah, there's yeah. five. That's why I started stand up. Because it's the lowest. Yeah. You just show I was up. like, I yeah, exactly. It was crazy. Same with James Adomian. James Adomian and I have had this conversation before where we're like, when we finally started doing stand up, and of course he's beyond he's stratospherically like amazing he's great he's fantastic and has had such an amazing career in such a short amount of time because he was already so good fucking good when i first started seeing him when he was kind of starting stand up i was like oh he's got he's already got like really great ideas oh yeah because he's already been in the sketch and improv world so and he's so good it's a different like, so muscle good. stand up like mm -hmm. eliza skinner and i talked about this it was yes. like it's a different muscle but you already have a comedy brain yes it's just figuring out how to put it in that package yes. and he yes and he he was off and running in a very beautiful way but i remember having a conversation with him very early on where i was like oh, isn't it amazing you don't have to drag a bunch of sh goddamn wigs around town. <laughs> like, you have a truck, a trunk full of like freaking hats, you know, and yeah. like water guns and whatever. You know what's weird? Did you ever read that, um, that Live from New York book? Yeah. I didn't. Dick Ebersol, who was the producer of Saturday Night Live after Lorne Michaels produced the the original five years mm -hmm. when you look at those original five years and people are doing characters or impersonations they don't fucking look like like chevy chase was doing gerald ford but he just was chevy chase and all he was doing was saying i'm right, gerald ford right but then dick ebersol was like they should look like that 
They That's should put, crazy. Put on, a, put on a wig and put on a prosthetic nose and make yourself look like that person. Which helps a lot when you don't really have impersonations. Exactly. As a strength. Then you're just looking. And then also, because when, when I hear about, like, the, especially the original Second City and, like, Compass Theater and stuff like that, they would do the same thing. They just were using, they weren't using props and wigs and shit. They were just miming it or faking it. And you just, you just come out and say, I'm Richard Dixon and do your Richard Dixon impersonation. But you didn't have a wig and a nose mm-hmm. and wearing a suit. And then Deck Ebersol in the 80s suddenly created this standard that, like, no, you have to have wigs and costumes. It became more theatrical Mm -hmm. in that like you're going to become this character and look like them as well as sound like them well i mean that's that's born out of opportunity because you still have improv and people do it all the time within improv you know characters and 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 beautifully that's what that's one of the things i still love good improv is like still sort of like my one of my favorite things jamming oh my gosh it's jamming it's jamming it's just nothing there's nothing like it and uh yeah the bare bonesness of uh, I, i mean it's just it always just seems like a fucking miracle mm. what's happening with nothing you yeah. know and that's that's what's so fascinating about it also that it's just like born in that space between everybody on stage and the people in the audience well like, it's so funny too when people get audiences get bitter because reading keith johnston remember he had a whole thing about like how he doesn't believe in taking suggestions <laughs> okay because he's like the audience doesn't give a of shit of all the things to not believe well in. it's just like he's like he, he says the audience doesn't care if you take suggestions or not, because they don't believe you're improvising already. Mm-hmm. He's like, so why does it matter? Mm. Just fucking do your scenes. Mm. He's like, but like, oh, people are taking suggestions to prove to the audience we're making it up right now. He's like, they don't give a shit and they don't believe you anyway. They still come up to you after a show and be like, who did you tell that guy to say that thing? He's like, that was a plant, right? That guy, did you, how much did you give me? Hey, can I give you suggestions? How much does it pay? Like, no, that was just a fucking person that gave us his job, but no one believes it. Yeah. So he's like, why waste the time with it? Mm. Because then you are making yourself the slaves of the audience. That's mm. his take on it. Well, it's like, I mean, you know what you're doing. They don't. But it's also. And they, they just want to be entertained anyway. They don't fuck. They, I remember my improv troupe. I was in college. I remember being at like a student union and I was just happened to be sitting next to these two guys that had seen a show. And one was talking about how funny it was and how good it was. And the other one's like, yeah, I used to go see them a lot. But, like, they, they can't be making that stuff up. He was over it because he didn't believe it? He just didn't believe that we were improvising. Wow. He's just like, I mean, how many times can you do the same game differently? They must be scripting that stuff. And I'm like, do you realize how much work that would be? How much harder that would how be? How much harder it to would have be to, to, to think your way shit. into nine million rewrites. To think, <laughs> to think up nine million rewrites of the same premise just like i have a, i have a script for any fucking suggestion they could give me that doesn't make any sense yeah do but you see do you see a card catalog on stage here <laughs> That'd be, what did you how say would again? you a14 a14 <laughs> you got the dewey decimal system the dewey decimal system for suggestions anyway continue what you were saying Oh, I don't even know. Where well, okay. Like, well, uh, I wanted to bring it back to kind of like the present moment. Like, mm-hmm. how is it that you are applying focus to your life? What is it in your life that you are trying to put some focus on? Oh, okay. Currently. Currently. Um, it's cool. Like, I've found two things that like, you know, once I started parent scaling back, because I used to always be like two improv teams, two sketch, two sketch teams and stand up and character and i you know do character shows and stuff like that right i think what i've kind of pared it down to is that i'm just more looking at it in terms of like acting and writing Mm. um stand-up is something that i will never not do 
to me, it's a beautiful sort of uh, marriage of the two. Mm-hmm. Like, not that it's actually, it's not acting. It's just a, an opportunity to perform. It is acting. In moments, it's acting. In moments, it's stripping away. It's like the, you know, but within even within acting, you need to be able to be stripped. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah, it's that you're, exercise. You're, you're, you know, you're putting out, uh, you're conveying a feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're conveying an emotion. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes you are doing characters. Right. Exactly. You're becoming the person that you talked to at the coffee shop that was weird. Right. So sometimes that is, that can be acting. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's become a way for me to look at and feel more pointed uh, that I don't feel so frenetic. I feel like I, the thing about like my path has always involved a lot of plate spinning because that is something that helps me function. Mm. So in that, it hasn't really warranted, um, you know, high concentration that would, uh, I feel like sometimes when people are focused on one thing, it makes it very easy for others to say, that's what they do. And that's what I need them for. You know what I mean? When you're sort of doubt, I don't even call it dabbling. I've just always kind of gone for this like uh, circuit training style of being a performer mm-hmm. where it's like i feel like i want to exercise in all these different ways and and to do it all in these and all make you a, a more total performer exactly package. exactly and it it all they all uh sort of support each other and strengthen each other and so it's been it actually has been very helpful to me to sort of um scale it back to those two macro ideas mm-hmm. if that makes any sense that it's like it's it's i'm focused on career-wise acting and writing and once i started writing more longer format stuff which is the last few years that's something that i really enjoy and helps mm-hmm. me um really does like use my brain in a way that i feel incredibly focused when i'm working in that way on something that's longer format where it's like you're you know you're looking at the totality of a system really the totality of a story right and it's not necessarily uh incremental big picture yeah all the years that i've been doing sketch and i've been coaching sketch lately and i still do write and, and do sketch uh that was always felt to me like this opportunity to sort of like write a lot of little plays you know it was practice for something uh bigger and then once i started working on longer format stuff i was like oh that's what that was for Mm. that's what it feels like so yeah Mm. i those two things as far as career focus that's where i'm at um anything that allows me to act anything that allows me to write i will never stop doing and what about how does this apply to non-career situations uh this so what what are we i'm trying to think of what we're applying the focus. focus so you know well something that like i've discovered in the last couple of years mm-hmm. just in like working on it is that the i've had a lot of like kind of freedom uh or or gained a lot of freedom out of not learning to not have uh penalize myself for lack of focus or learning to not have shame around lack of focus mm-hmm. Meaning it's big picture. At the end of the day, you're doing great, Baron Vaughn. You know, at the end of the day, it's you are. So if 
if you can allow yourself the freedom of like that sort of wasted mind space of getting right. like um angry or penalizing Which yourself last night yeah <laughs> that that's really that can create further disparity from the focus you know what i mean like that can really that can make focus that much further away because you're going internal you know you're going internal in a way uh cognitively that doesn't allow you to stay present and so it's a it's sort of a waste of brain space and that's that's where i'm at right now where it's like it's been great shit it's been great it's just a it's a it's a great relief. Yeah. Because you're right. Like, it's our society, we're raised, our parents, uh, we're, we're, we spend our entire lives and especially our formative years yeah. um, sort of being trained to believe that if, you, if your mind doesn't work a certain way, it's not good. I feel like I, I uh, thematically, I know a couple of people who, um, all of which are Caucasian females. Hi. <laughs> that are creative people <laughs> that have had just a like their fathers have just been saying really shitty things to hmm. them lately. Just lately? About, yeah, I just feel like it's coming up a lot where they're being told, you know, they were always the good kid, the focused kid, the mm. one that had the grades and the one that had the mm. creativity and, and was going to be something. Mm-hmm. And now their parents are being like, you're not the thing you're supposed to be mm. right now. So they're getting a lot of shame That's and rough. guilt as adults. That's rough. As adults, like you're a disappointment. Ooh. You're a liar. Uh-uh. You're a mooch. Nuh-uh. Stuff like that. Where it's just kind of like, whoa, really? Not cool. I'm like so glad I was not white because I would just, <laughs> I would hate myself even more. It's crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of, well, I'm, I mean, I'm very lucky. My... <laughs> I'm very lucky to be white. I mean, I'm no, uh, no. <laughs> I'm very lucky to be one sixteenth Cherokee. Um, no, uh, my dad's great. Yeah. So, but I mean, we all have had certainly. I had we had our middle class Caucasian American dysfunctional disagreements three, and stuff like that. Three yeah. generations back of like this insecurity began when the, well, the family like, immigrated and then died, and my grandmother was are fourteen. Like our and were like Reagan generation. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. My parents were full-blown hippies at one point. Mm. And then, but they were. Well, I don't mean to say that they're like conservative. No, they're of just that kind of era. Like this, that era, the, the Reagan's ideas were so pervasive, yep. regardless of what you believe. Right. And like some of that shit just sinks in there. Even if you disagree oh. with it, it just gets into your cracks and your Absolutely. roots. And it's a weed in the because garden. Because that was, a, that was the outcome of a previous generation. So right. the... The, the post Carter, post Ford. Right. Yeah. The, that, that, I mean, it also is, it was an entire generation that was trying to counterbalance or counteract their parents' generation and their parents' way of life. And then finding themselves having been, so themselves having been raised by their parents to have through osmosis, you know, basically developed very similar values in the end you know what i'm saying like right. like my parents were probably a bit um bucking the system and and my dad certainly was like is sort of still very anti-establishment but if you see him today like he was raised by a patriarch who was a you know world war ii fighter pilot naval fighter pilot who then went on to be a math professor and then worked for early ibm and it was very like very much like a 
control-based mentality. And, you know, my dad was like this psychedelic artist in the 70s who was just really um, trying to go his own way. But in the end, he was very, and still to this day, he's very uh, dedicated to like safety and security. And the way that his life went was towards those values that were instilled, I think, by his parents ultimately. And But then also like it's being fed to us so much. Mm-hmm. Like it's like it, that's the most sinister thing. Sometimes it's not the things that you're being told directly. Mm-hmm. It's just the indirect things we're being told are so like get a house, 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 a house, a house, a house. You just hear it so much, even if you've never wanted to live in a house. There's a party that goes, I think I should move into a house. Yeah, I think a house is a good symbol for independence and security, and it's a good investment, and it's blah blah blah. And you're just regurgitating shit that you've been fed, but you don't even know. That's how they get you. They make you think it's your own idea. Hey. I don't know. I don't know what's supposed to happen after "Hey." Well, my mother would say, "Yeah," and because she sounds a lot like that impersonation you just did about the house, house, mm-hmm. house, house. Uh, she would say that, as a matter of fact, the most money she ever made in one transaction was the day she bought a house. You know what I mean? Like the highest value she, the highest value of return she's ever earned in any investment. Highest value of return in any investment, which means that, like, eventually. Theoretically, I've made money here. Well, it's not liquid, but it's equity. Right. Like it, it is the, been the most profitable in terms of non-liquid equity. Right. Which is all. But what if it's still imaginary? It is imaginary <laughs> because the truth is, I'm thinking right now is like she lives basically on a cliff in San Francisco. Like shit crumbles. There's no equity. <laughs> if it falls off into the Pacific Ocean, there's no equity. If but there's too much liquid. There's no more equity. <laughs> one day and it is all arbitrary because even if even with equity it's like what is money (laughs) what is money how is that how what the problem is when that becomes attached to value because ultimately like then what is life life is not money hey let's stay focused here (laughs) what are clothes waka waka what are they they're just the things that we put on ourselves to because jesus they're threads jesus said that's gross cover that up Cover it up, you know. And well, we do it. Say it. I mean, a, a guy said it. We do it. We live we in houses. We cover our bodies. It. Yeah, we use money to for transactions for goods. I mean, what is this? More plastic, more than actual money these days, right? right? Am I? Yeah. Am I right? The idea of money. The idea of money. You never actually see the money. It's just a number in a on a computer screen or Isn't on a phone great? or a sheet of paper like that exists. Someone told me that's in there. Therefore, I have it. I can give this number. You're just paying numbers. It's not actually just like, how much is that? 12? It's just the number 12. Okay, I have 83. Now I have uh, 71. There you go. You know what's interesting? What? I never really thought about this, but if we're completely off of, I mean, if we at any point we come, become so independent of actual tender, mm-hmm. right, then there's no real use for the treasury or, I mean, not that there's no use for the treasury, but like, printing my mints printing yeah. money that being a huge facet of what the treasury does right then becomes inconsequential then you have that plus the usps like the united states postal service the on the verge of dissolving dissolving so it is true that we have participated in just moving all uh any grasp 
on governance over like sort of just basic shit out of the hands of the United States government into the bank's hands. Like, I love my debit card. Bartering bartering does not serve the country. No, I know. It just serves the person that you want something from and they want something from you. Right. It makes the transaction have nothing to do with any institutions. Right. Hey, I've got well, these deer pelts. Certain do you have any carrots? Yes, I do. Yeah. Transaction over. Yeah. They have pelts. You have carrots. Let's start a pelt trading post. Mm, I don't know about that. Why? Pelty does Dallas. What I'm talking about. <laughs> I got I'm a pelt tip gonna... pen. All right. Pelt tip, pelt tip pen. Oh, uh, we should get the crapple dapples. We gotta get you gotta get to the show. But any final thoughts? I lost it. <laughs> That's the final thought. You lost it. But I hope that you find it again. Thank you. Just it's focus. always there. Just focus. It's fine. It'll come into your sight. I'm happy. That was the Mills of Maya Emilyishness. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope I didn't bum you out too much with my introduction in the front. I'm going to turn all of that into hilarious comedy jokes. And uh, maybe that, that's a big, that's a reason I traffic in ideas. I think real life is fucking horrible. <laughs> I want to talk about my problems on stage. I don't want to talk about my problems to myself. Anyway, guys, uh, love you. <laughs> Check out all the podcasts on the All Things Comedy Network, if you will, please. Um, here's a couple off the top of my head. Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast, Jake This of Jake Johansson, The Dork Forest, Comedy Film Nerds, The Flop House, The Tom Rhodes Show, Skeptic Tank, The Champs, uh, Minivan Men, just so many choices. In so many minds, men, women, hermaphrodites, red or yellow, black or white, their ideas are precious to your ears. Their ideas are precious to your ears. That's what that should have been. I'm doing this for you guys and myself. I'm doing it for myself. Is that a thing? I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Anyway, guys, deep shit. What?